As Peter said, we're reading from 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, page 863. So we're reading from verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from life to death, from death to life, because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down in his, his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him everything we ask, because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his, this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. I mean, this ends our reading, and may God add to our understanding that reading from his word. Well, friends, let's bow in prayer. Father, we do want to, uh, really want to thank you for Christ and for all that he is, that uh, uh, all of the, your fullness uh, is found in Christ and that he is the one who has died on the cross to sacrifice himself for our sins. Father, we pray that uh, the love of Christ would flow through in our lives and as we uh, consider your word this morning that we would be reminded what true love is and not simply so that we can uh, have our minds fed but that we can have, a, have our hearts challenged as well. And uh, we pray for the children in Sunday school as they're taught your word, that they would be being grounded in the gospel and uh, firmly uh, rooted and built up in Christ Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. It's a good thing that in hospitals they've got all sorts of monitors that they can hook up to your system to uh, monitor your vital signs like your, uh, your heart rate and your brain activity and so on. Uh, and I don't have a lot of experience of that but I imagine it's quite comforting to know that if you're lying flat on your back in a hospital emergency room that uh, if your heart stops pumping, then there's going to be a line on a monitor that's going to go flat. There's going to be some alarms that are going to start sounding and 
emergency procedures are going to swing into action. Is that how it works? Those of you who are nurses and doctors and that sort of thing? Yeah, okay. Uh, as I say, I don't have a lot of experience of that, but um, I do get my vital signs measured occasionally at the gym that I go to. Uh, every few months or so, my gym instructor says, Rightio, Scott, we've got to check your heart and your lungs. So he uh, hooks up a, it's like a wristwatch, but it's a little monitor that goes around your wrist and it, uh, and it um, sends out a transmit, a sig transmits a signal to something that he's got and he gets me to get on the uh, cycle thing and go hard at it at a certain pace for a certain length of time and uh, then he's able to assess how my cardiovascular fitness is going. And generally speaking, he says, it's not going too bad, Scott, but there's a bit of scope for improvement. So that's uh, encouraging to know. It's good to have some monitors for our physical vital signs, but what about our spiritual vital signs? Uh, how can we monitor what's going on in our lives spiritually? Well, uh, this first letter of John we've been looking at over the last few weeks or so uh, is pretty helpful in that regard because it uh, keeps on raising issues and asking questions which really are about the vital signs of our spiritual health. So it keeps on raising questions like, are you living uh, obediently to God? Um, are you loving one another? And are you believing the right things about Jesus? These are the vital spiritual signs. So this morning we're going to hook up this particular monitor and we're going to do a check on how we're going with that second vital sign of true spirituality and that is the vital sign of love. So how about we open up our Bibles at 1 John chapter 3. Uh, looking at verse 11 through to the end of the, uh, the chapter there. And I'm reminded that when the Apostle Paul wrote uh, his letter to the church in Galatia, that he made a really uh, hard-hitting comment where he said this. He said that the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. That's a really important point. The only thing which matters is faith expressing itself through love. And that was the message that the readers of John's letter needed to hear. And remember, this is a circular letter. It's gone around to a number of different churches. They needed to hear that the only thing which counts is faith expressing itself through love because that was very relevant to their situation. Now, it's not that they were being particularly unloving and that they needed to be rebuked and corrected, although there's always scope for that uh, with all of us, isn't it? That the problem was, the problem was that there was people who had been amongst them and had gone out from them who claimed to be super spiritual Christians. Uh, people who claim to have a special knowledge, uh, a higher knowledge, a superior knowledge that was beyond the gospel, uh, or people who claim to have a, a higher spiritual experience. Uh, you've, you believe that Jesus died on the cross, that's great, 
But there is this higher knowledge. There is this superior experience which you need to have than just the plain old gospel. Now, how do you think that that would have made these Christians feel? How would you feel? Uh, How would you feel if you're someone who loves and trusts in Jesus, but then someone comes along and tells you that you're missing out on the special spiritual experience? Um, Someone said to me after the nine o'clock service that that's happened to them. And I said, how did you feel? And she said, I felt like I was inferior. I felt like I was a second-rate Christian. I felt like I hadn't quite made it. And uh, that's the reality of it. Um, It uh, can make us feel less than fully Christian. Uh, It can unsettle our hearts so that uh, our hearts may even start to condemn us. Uh, In your heart you're thinking, well, maybe, maybe I'm not good enough for God. Maybe I haven't got the true thing. Maybe I'm not even a Christian. That's how it can make you feel. And the problem here is that they're trying to assess spirituality, but they're using the wrong monitor. Now, in the first part of this passage, John speaks about love. And we're going to take a closer look at that in a few moments. But having spoken about love, in verse 19, he says, This then is how we know that we belong to the truth. You might feel spiritually inferior, even condemned by your own heart, in comparison to the super spirituals who think that they've got something which is better than the gospel. But if you trust in the gospel of Jesus, and if the love that God has shown to you in Christ dying on the cross on your behalf, if you've so grasped that love, that that love now flows through your life, and is displayed in your attitudes and your actions towards other people, then your heart really ought to be at rest because that is the evidence of of true spirituality. So what is love then? Now that's a question which uh, means, love means different things in different contexts. Um, We talk about romantic love and that's a good thing. Song of Solomon is all full of romantic love. Uh, young people uh, sometimes talk about falling in love as if you so, somehow kind of slip into it. Um, it's those warm, gooey feelings when, when you've got a crush on someone. Remember those feelings? <laughs> Some of you do. Uh, we talk about the idea of making love, which is that um, physical uh, expression of love between a husband and wife. Uh, or to be between a husband and wife. But the type of love which is the vital sign of the true Christian is different. Now, John uses two ways to teach us about true love. I don't know about you, but sometimes if someone wants to teach me a truth, it's really helpful if they teach me the opposite of the truth because that helps to sharpen uh, that that truth in my mind. And that's what he does here. Uh, In verses 11 through to 15... Uh, we learn what love is not. Uh, If love is one of the vital signs of the truly uh, spiritual, uh, the the spiritually alive and healthy Christian, then the opposite of love, hatred, 
is one of the vital signs that a person is spiritually unhealthy. Uh, They might even be a flatliner. They might even be spiritually dead. And John gives us the perfect example of someone who was a spiritual flatliner. Uh, Have a look at verse 12. In verse 12, he says, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Uh, Remember Cain? We talked about Cain a few weeks back in the Genesis 1 to 12 series, didn't we? And uh, Cain, what's he famous for? He murdered his brother Abel. And he did so out of jealousy. You see, God was pleased with Abel because when it came to sacrificing to God, Abel gave sacrificially, didn't he? But he wasn't pleased with Cain because because Cain held back from God. Cain uh, held tightly to the things which he valued and he gave God things which were of less value. So he was, it was materialism in the sense that held him back. Well, he, didn't, he held back from God and because he was holding back from God and he didn't please God, he then felt jealous towards his brother who had pleased God by being, giving sacrificially and that jealousy led to, to, uh, to murder. Now, the warning here is don't be like Cain. Why would we need to be warned about that? Let's have a look at verses 13 through to 15. Verse 13. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. Um, And just as Cain hated Abel because Abel's deeds were righteous but Cain's were not. So don't be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Uh, Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. The chances that we would murder someone in church, I think, are very very slim, I would hope. Um, But what about the heart attitude which leads to murder? In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus talked about various commands. Uh, and, you know, he said, you know, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I tell you that any man who's lusted after a woman in his heart has already committed adultery in his heart. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that uh, if anyone is angry with his brother, that he would be subject to judgment because the hater. And the murderer share the same problem in their hearts, don't they? Uh, it's, it's what's going on in your heart that uh, matters the most. Um, the murderer is the person who's had the opportunity <laughs> to express that hatred and has let go and has done that. Now, thankfully, it's very rare that someone in the church would hate someone else in the church, although I have known of situations where people who've Um, even left their church because they've been uh, full of bitterness and uh, and anger towards a 
Christian brother or sister. And sometimes, you know, when you see that happening, you, you think, Where, where's the love here? And there should be all sorts of emergency bells ringing because of the flat line of that particular monitor. If we've passed from spiritual death to spiritual life, then John says, don't be like Cain. Don't harbour bitterness and hostility and anger uh, towards your brothers. So that's what love is not. But in verse 16, John says, well, let me show you what love is. Have a look at it. He says, this is what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And uh, later on in chapter 4, verse 16, um, he says that, that love and God are interchangeable, that God is love, that love is uh, intrinsic to the very character of God. And so if you want to know the purest form of love, then you really have to know God. And, and knowing God means that we know that right throughout the pages of the Bible that we see God's love constantly at work, but that the clearest example of God's love is the gospel. The fact that Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins. Um, Peter Bradbury, is one of our church members, is in, coming back from Sydney today, but he was communicating with me last night um, about a church <clears throat> just down the coast from here. It's a mainstream church where the minister on his website makes it explicitly clear. He says that <clears throat> the reason that Jesus came was not to pay the penalty for our sins. Uh, and then he goes on to say that, uh, that Jesus came just to teach us about the kingdom and there's all sorts of people who are in the kingdom. Buddhists are in the kingdom. Hindus are in the kingdom. Jews are in the kingdom. Atheists are in the kingdom. Everybody's in the kingdom. And that Jesus did not come to pay for the sins of a wrathful and vengeful... to, to pay for our sins to avert the anger of a wrathful and vengeful God. Uh, I said to Peter, usually sheep, usually they wear a little bit more wool than that guy. <laughs> These, you know, wools in sheep's clothing. Uh, but uh, Jesus apparently did not come to die for our sins. Well, that's not what uh, John says, is it? Uh, and think for a moment, friends, of just how incredible God's love for us is when he sent Jesus to die. I mean, who are the people who you would sacrifice your life for? I'm um, pretty sure I'd sacrifice my, my life for my wife and for my children. Outside of that, it's going to be a little bit of a tougher call. And I think that's true for a lot of us. Many people would sacrifice their lives for their loved ones. Um, sometimes you'll hear stories of a husband placing himself between a gunman and his wife. Or you'll hear when they're clearing up the remains from a tragic house fire that they'll find a mother's charred body uh, covering the burnt body of her child. And we know that that's uh, the sacrificial love that uh, we will uh, 
extend towards those who are closest to us. Come with me to Romans chapter 5, just very briefly. If you turn back in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, which you'll find on page 798. And just have a listen to what Paul says about Christ's love in this regard in verse 6. Everyone got that? Romans 5, verse 6. Nearly there. Great. He says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who did Christ die for? Did he die for good people? Did he die for the lovely people? Did he die for the deserving people? Who did Christ die for? He died for, what does it say, the ungodly. He died for sinners. He died for people like you and me. And he died because he needed to pay the penalty for sin. See, what does God's love look like? It is sacrificial love towards those who don't deserve it. And it, and it finds its ultimate expression in Jesus dying on the cross. See verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And get this, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Now anyone can say, I love you. Talk can be pretty cheap, can't it? But uh, God didn't just say, I love you, and then leave it at that. He showed his love in action and in truth. You see, whereas hatred ultimately finds its expression in murder, love ultimately finds its expression in sacrifice. It's the exact opposite, isn't it? And John gives us a pretty good illustration of what that's going to look like in practice in verse 17. Let me read that. Verse 17. He says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? It's a little bit similar to in the book of James, isn't it, where James says, you know, you, you see your brother or sister who's, you know, without food and without clothes and, and you say, bless you, you know, may you be warm and well-fed and, and you walk off. What's the problem here? If a church member has been materially blessed by God, why would they close their affections and that's the that's the meaning of the term here why would they close their affections uh, turn away from the christian brother or sister who they see in need why would they do that well i think it's because they've got the same attitude as cain when he displeased god it's because they want to hold on to what they have. They want to hold on to their material possessions and they want to hold on to them tightly and ultimately it's not just the 
brother or sister who is in need that they're withholding from, who are they really withholding from? They're withholding from from God. Withholding from God. Because we're in love with the things of this world and ultimately self-centred. And that was the sin of Cain. And in his case, it led to jealousy and murder. But we've got to be different to that. If we are truly comprehending and if we're truly grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus, then we're going to be the opposite. Instead of keeping ourselves at arm's length from the brother or sister who is in need, uh, instead of just giving them the bare minimum so that we can relieve our consciences and not actually help them, we've actually who are doing the exact opposite to that. We've got to be people who are actually outwardly looking and searching out for opportunities to be sacrificial towards others, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. And when I say sacrificial, that doesn't just mean doing the bare minimum so that we can relieve our consciences it actually means doing that which is costly, doing that which is inconvenient, doing that which means that we might actually miss out for the sake of others. Remember what Christ did for you? He gave up his life. And so therefore we ought to be that way towards each other. And I see this happening in our church. Uh, there have been so many times when uh, people have just had a quiet word with me and have told me that they were in need, that uh, perhaps they were sick, they were bedridden or they needed help with the kids or they even needed financial help and someone in the church has been there, has heard about their need and has quietly gone about the work of actually meeting that need for them. Sometimes that's been something as simple as a cooked meal. You know, for the mother who's sick in bed and can't provide for the family. Or it's been a visit from someone who's just been feeling lonely and a bit down and, and feeling needing encouragement in their Christian life. Uh, and sometimes it's been material help as well, uh, even money that's arrived anonymously uh, for someone who was in need. That's a beautiful family thing, isn't it? It's the sort of thing when you see that happening and we, when you experience it yourself, you think, hey, it's great to be a part of the family of God. Uh, what it does mean on the other side of things, though, is that uh, you know, it's, it's really when we're actually involved and engaged and committed in the life of the church that uh, other members of the family can become aware of our needs and be in a position to help us. Sometimes, of course... Um, there are situations that sort of slip through the net. Uh, there are situations where we do fail in that regard, but sacrificial love is what we're aiming for and that's what we need to be working towards and, and I see happening. Now, of course, you don't have to be a Christian to be a loving person, do you? Of course not. God hasn't so far, God hasn't withdrawn himself from people so that there's no love in the world outside of people being Christians. 
We all know non-Christian people who are incredibly kind and incredibly generous. But Christian love is actually different. And I'll tell you why. I know of, uh, of, I know of non-Christian parents who've got adult children who should know better but sometimes behave abusively towards their parents, uh, stealing, deceiving and so on, and where the non-Christian parent has sacrificially kept on loving uh, their child despite that abuse going on. But where the person doing the abusing is not a member of the family, not someone who's close to them, it's very rare that you would see uh, their actions being reciprocated by love and uh, by sacrificial love. But that is precisely what the love of Jesus is like because what type of people does Jesus love? The unlovely, the ungodly, his enemies, people like you and me, sinners. And so if we are followers of Jesus, then actually that's the way that we need to be loving towards each other and even others. That means it's not always easy. And that's what makes Christian love distinctive. Now, how's it work out in practice? Well, uh, in case you haven't noticed, there's no church that's perfect, right? And you know what they say, don't you? If you find the perfect church, then what's the last thing that you should do? Join it. You find the perfect church, do not join it, because if you join it, you're going to wreck it, all right? You're going to ruin it, because... You see, when Jesus returns, we will all be made perfect and the church heavenly will be the church glorious and triumphant. Uh, it will be the perfect, free of sin in heaven. But until then, we're in this situation where we're forgiven of our sins, we're striving towards holiness, but we're still sinful. And as Paul said to the Colossians, uh, he said that because that is who we are now, then expressing Christ's love is going to mean that when we rub each other up the wrong way and when perhaps we, we sin against one another, then Paul says to bear with one another, forgive one another, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. What do we say in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And that's the, that's the character of Christian love. And sometimes it's really hard. But that's what God's love is like. Have a look at verse 18. In verse 18, he says, Dear children, and don't you love that? Here's the elderly Apostle John referring to the Christians as his children. He says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue. That's easy stuff, that is. But with actions and in truth. God's love is sacrificial love. It's not about talk. It's about actions. It can be costly. And sometimes it's love towards people who don't deserve our love. But how incredibly powerful is that love 
when you see it expressed. And when we see it happening in the Christian community, practical love where there is need, forgiving and reconciling love uh, where there is a conflict, then you know what? Hey, that's the sign, that is the vital sign of true spirituality. That's a healthy church. And it shows that we are we're living in God and that God is living in us by his spirit whom he gave to us. Um, the false teachers in John's day and also the false teachers in our day, you know, they were saying that fresh experiences from God and uh, spiritual experiences and knowledge, that these are the vital signs of being spiritually healthy and alive. But that is like using a heart monitor to assess brain activity. It's the wrong monitor. The right monitor is the love monitor. But if you, and if you hook up the love monitor and it shows Christ's love for you being expressed in love towards others, then John would say that you've assuredly passed from death to life. And he would say, keep on living that way. Don't budge from that. So, how's your love monitor going? What's it showing? Um, my guess is that we could all be a little bit healthier. Right? Nothing wrong with that. Uh, and it's like me at the gym. The gym instructor says, Scott, you're doing okay, but hey, there's a bit of room for improvement here. Uh, we could all be a little bit healthier this side of heaven. We will all be selfish from time to time. We all know that there are times when, we've, when we fail to be loving, both in that uh, practical sense of closing our affections towards the brother or sister who is in need, and in the attitude of our hearts towards those who disappoint us, let us down. Perhaps we need to remember afresh that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And if Jesus did that for those who were his enemies, then how could we not do it for those who are now our brothers and sisters? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great expression of love that we see in Jesus. And Father, we confess to you that we've not always loved you and have not always loved one another and those around us in the way that we should. But we thank you, Father God, that because of Christ's love in our lives that we are empowered to be able to do so. We pray that where there is a need that you would change our mindset and we pray that we would be people who would not give the bare minimum to those who are in need, but we would even look for opportunities to help, uh, even especially when it is costly to do so. Father, uh, we uh, want to thank you again for your incredible love in sending Jesus to die for us, even though we were living in opposition to you. We thank you for that. And we pray that we would be like that towards others. In Jesus' name, amen.